Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. This is Gina's Groove Theory. Tonight's topic, building black wealth, breaking down wealth in black and white. The average black family would need 228 years to build the wealth of a white family today. Just as past public policies created the racial gap, current policy widens it. If current economic trends continue, the average black household will need 228 years to accumulate as much wealth as their white counterparts hold today. For the average Latino family, it will take 84 years. Absent absent significant policy interventions and seismic change in American economic, people of color will never close the gap. Those are the findings of the new study of racial wealth gap released this week by the Institute of Policy Studies and the Corporation for Economic Development. They look at trends in household wealth from 1983 to 2013, a 30-year period that captured the rise of the economics expanded international trade, and two major financial crashes fueled by bubbles in the tech sector and housing prices. The authors found that average wealth of the white households increased by 84% during those three decades, three times the the gains African-American families saw, and 1.2 times the rate of growth for Latino families. To put that in perspective, the wealthiest Americans, members of the Ford's 400 list, saw their net worth increase by 732% during that period on average. If those 10 trends persist for another 30 years, the average white family's net worth will grow by 18,000 per year. But black and Hispanic households will only see their growth grow by $750 and 200 2250 per year, respectively. By the time that Fair Housing Act made housing discrimination illegal, people of color had missed out on decades of robust growth. Economist Tom Prickett said that, left uninterrupted, we will move toward a hereditary aristocracy of wealth, says Chuck Collins, one of the study's authors. What he didn't say is that the United States, there would be almost entirely a white aristocracy of wealth. The study looked at financial wealth, stocks, bonds, and the like, real estate and business capital, but excluded durable goods like cars and consumer appliances. Like other studies of racial wealth gap, it excluded Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, Native Americans, and other people of color because of limitations in the underlying data. Recent years have brought a heightened focus on income inequality, but while they're related, wealth inequality is far more pronounced. According to the study published by Dermos last year, the median income for whites in 2011 was around 50% higher than that of blacks and Latinos, but white median households' wealth was around 16 times greater. It took 400 years of slavery, segregation, and institutionalized discrimination in the labor 
and housing markets to build the wide gap, the wealth gap that we see today. For example, by the time the Fair Housing Act made discrimination in housing illegal in 1968, people of color had missed out on decades of robust growth in housing markets, and much of the next generation missed out on the wealth building in, in the 20 years it took to fully implement the law. The racial wealth divide is how the past shows up to the present. Chuck Holland says from the nation, we have a deep legacy of wealth inequality that undermines the whole idea that we have a meritocracy, that there's an equal playing field. The racial wealth gap continues to grow, not only because of the income inequality, whites have more dollars to stock away, but because accumulated wealth is a mechanism for transmitting economic success from generation to generation. It is a vicious cycle. Poor communities have limited tax bases to, found, to fund their public school systems, which lead to sharp disparities in, in educational quality. A family with some assets could help their kids pay for an education or put down a payment on a first home or kick them some seed money to start a small business. All of these help the next generation climb the economic ladder. Wealth also provides an important cushion, also unexpected shocks, things like temporary job losses and unexpected medical bills. If you've got some wealth, you can weather the storm without getting over your head in debt. According to Princeton University sociologist Dalton Conley, the wealth of a child's family is the single greatest predictor of the child's future economic prospects. Conley, whose data did include things like cars and household goods, found that even white households hovering over poverty line have a net worth of 10000 to 15000 But the typical black family at the income level will often be under the water with neg negative net worth. In many cases, that means turning to usurious predatory lenders to stay afloat, an added expense of being poor. A truly perverse aspect of this story is that just as the past public policies created the racial wealth gap, current policies continues to widen it. The federal government spends a fortune subsidizing wealth building activities like paying for college, saving for retirement, or for buying a home. But most of these dollars go to people who already have wealth. Since 1994, government spending on wealth building has more than tripled, from $200 billion in 1994 to $660 billion last year, according to IPSCFEC report studies. The costiest of all these subsidies is the home mortgage tax deduction. And the 2013 study by the National Priorities Project found that 77% of these benefits goes to households with annual incomes between $75,000 and $500,000. Similarly, an estimated two-thirds of all public subsidies for retirement savings go to those with incomes in the top 20% of distribution. We're spending a fortune on wealth spending, building but very little of it ends up bolstering 
the networks of poor people and people of color. The persistence and growth of the racial gap provides a powerful rationale for reparations for African Americans, who are the furthest behind whites in accumulating wealth and have endured the most brutal forms of racism. Advocates like William Darty Jr., a professor of African American Studies and Economics at Duke University, picture a program of reparations as a sort of Marshall Plan for poor communities of color. With major investments in health care and education and local infrastructure and seed money for small business startups. But the politics of reparations are fraught, and they wouldn't help close the wealth gap for other people of color, much less for poor whites. The report calls for a number of policies that will rationalize federal spending on wealth bending, building activities so that they target those who need help. They include one proposal that has been around for a while, giving every baby born in the United States a savings account with a modest sum, and then using public funds to match what low-income households are able to save. When a young person hits 18, the accounts could be then used to help finance college, education, or to buy the first home or start a new business. Any remaining funds would be dedicated to retirement. There's certainly room to debate the policies for addressing the racial wealth gap, but the reports published this week confirms that if we do nothing, it will just continue to grow. And having a corporate job, let's let's start there. In 2001, I was a corporate call center supervisor, and I was working in Woodland Hills in the Warner Center, uh, Warner Center business area, and I was one of the best supervisors that they had on a five in the day shift, and when I first entered the job, I was just like anyone else. I wasn't a supervisor, and I wasn't a, a team shift lead. I grew in a matter of three months. In three months' time, I was a shift lead. And by that fourth, fifth month, they found that uh, not only was I well with the system and the computer system and I knew how to run it, not only did I know how to operate on their system as a person taking calls, but that I could work and keep people online and in tow as well. Uh, As I said, I see I do have a call out there. If you'd like to speak, you can press 1. A lot of people don't know that. When I became a call center supervisor, when they offered me the position, I took it. And I had a counterpart, a male English coworker, who felt that for whatever reason, I grew too fast. As he being an English-born native, not even a citizen of the United States, he had asked me and inquired several times, what did you do? What did you do? It took me. It took him. He came in starting on the line just like I did, I'm sure. And it took him two years to get to have that opportunity to become a supervisor. And over the period of time, I I gathered that he grew angry at me, and then he took that attack out on me. Every day I would come in. We had a 30-minute layover. Every day he would come in at 3 o'clock, and I would be leaving at 3.30. He was very aggressive. 
He was downright insulting. He made comments about Compton and uh, things that made me feel very uneasy. In a work environment that I had felt safe in, I no longer felt safe. I felt that I was inside of a place where I was becoming isolated. From being isolated, it turned into what my doctors soon I would find, repeated illness. I would get laryngitis just out of the blue. Not even yelling or screaming or raising my voice, I became ill time after time, not realizing that his actions toward me was causing me to have anxiety. And at that time, as I tell a lot of you, I didn't believe in mental illness. I didn't believe in panic attacks. I didn't believe anything that where I could not maintain and carry out my job as a perfectionist as I was. Being a perfectionist also added to that because I thought more highly of myself than maybe I should have. Being that I was brought up to be that way, I was private school educated as well as all my friends, so I considered myself in the game. My family always taught me that no one can ever touch you if you have brains. Education and all of these things that I see that I had today, it doesn't make a difference. Today, my education at that time back then didn't matter. It didn't matter what group that I came from or what garden that I grew in. This man had it out for me. And every day for that 30 minutes, he made my 30 minutes a living hell. Before I recognized it, I was sweating and feeling these feelings I'd never felt before, like I was going mad within myself, and I felt unsafe. And then I'm hearing him say to me all these disgusting things he spoke about with my, my counterpart, my coworker from day shift. He would say things that were totally disgusting, and I could not understand it. No one seemed to come to my aid. It was like what he was doing was just normal, normal business as it was. That's what led me to going to the doctor at the advice of a attorney friend of mine. Keep in mind, that job that I had was not my main, it wasn't my career. It was a job that I was doing because it was paying well. It brought in good money. It kept my kids in private school. It kept everything flowing. I didn't have to depend on anyone. I was a self-made, independent woman all day. I could acquire everything that I wanted. 401K, I was building my monies. I set monies aside, CDs. I didn't have a worry about what my income was or if I was to lose my job or if that one day I would wake up, as my mother would say to me, <laughs> and God rest her soul, Kitty would say all the time after working 36 years on the same job, she would say, you know, one day I might not have this job. And so she always, all through my whole life, she was always reinventing herself. She went back to college. She took up her art. She was an artist as well. She took up oil painting. She took up sketching. She took up cake decorating. She took up decorating shirts, creating things. And I wondered, she even took a job. And I'll never forget. My mother was what you consider a high maintenance. We didn't have men in the house. There was no, no fathers in the house. She was a single mother. But we only dealt with people in Orange County. We had a very 
a very multicultural family. My godmother being white, her godmother being Hispanic, my children's godmother being Hispanic as well. So I didn't have, it was a diverse situation. So my thought, my mindset was that everybody is just alike. When, in fact, I did not know what I was soon to discover. What my mother, what my nan taught me was that if no, as long as you have a brain, as long as you can use it, no one can touch you. I'm sad to say today, as I look at my friends and family who are battling on these jobs, off work, being discriminated against, it's, it's almost a nightmare. But I stand today as not having worked since a real job since 2001 and then being diagnosed with panic dysfunction disorder. That changed my life changed my world. I came to know that mental illness is not a way out to get over. Mental illness and disorders, schizophrenia and panic anxiety, dysfunction disorder, it all comes from a traumatic incident. Not saying that as a young child that I didn't experience traumatic events that could have added and aided my adult life, but it was quite different from being traumatically traumatized by someone you knew as opposed to being traumatized by someone who you didn't know and someone who wasn't even from your own country. And then while watching everyone watch me get terrorized and inhibited, that's what I came to be. At the urge of that attorney friend of mine, I went to seek help. I went to a psychiatrist, and I found that all of my mental and medical illnesses, and I would have to say in that period of time, it started in March, and by the time that I got help, by October, I was off the job. By three and a half months, I put up with this man because of my financial situation, me thinking that I didn't want my kids to be without, I had to keep this job, not ever thinking that this job I was holding on to wasn't that important as my own mental and medical or physical and psychological health. So I bared with it and I dealt with it for three and a half months. And today, as I realized I could have left. If I had have known, what I know today is that no one should ever, ever remain in an unsafe situation. That means if it's an unsafe relationship with someone, if an unsafe environment, anything where you feel that you can't breathe and that you can't maintain and that you're shaking and that you're, that is a situation you have to get out of. You have to leave it. You have to say, you know what? I can push forward. I can do something of my own. Today, I don't think about working for someone else. I only think about working for my community, which is a global community. People who have struggled and battled through all types of horrendous all types of 
tragedies. Not only did I suffer losing my mom and my great aunt six months and two days apart, but now I had lost that precious job in which I didn't even gain any respect. My boss, being a female, didn't even save me. For that, I've learned today. There is nothing out there that in the employment force that is not mine that I have to hold on to. As I speak to my friends every day and we speak about how we are going to make a way for ourselves and for our people, anyone who wants to be a part, that means you come and you bring what you have. If you have credit repair expertise, you have real estate expertise, you have education expertise, these are areas that we must cover ourselves. No one is ever going to give it to us. For one, you have to look at your situation as you are as a colored person. And I, yes, I do speak strongly for black people, but also, too, in reading that report, our Latino people also struggle with the same things. If it's going to take us 228 years to catch up to our white counterparts, it's going to take them 84 years to catch up to our white counterparts, then we have to really get busy. This is not a game. This is not a game. With people being gentrified, black folk, and as well as other poor folk, poor white folk, everybody's being pushed out. Where are you going to fit? Where are you going to go? With people being deported who have had businesses here for 30, 40 years, they've had their businesses here, they're being sent back because they're not a citizen. All of you people out there who voted for these for this president, I'm not going to get on your body. I understand what you thought. And you know what? With all my being, I want to think the same way. I want to say, you know what? Give the guy a chance. But as I see these testimonies and these trials with sessions today with Ms. Camilla, I see that it's a bigger and broader picture. He should have been gone. Anyone that associates with Russian, Russians have never been our friends. They never will be our friends. If you could be friends with a Russian, but you can't be friends with the blacks and the colored people here in this country, then you couldn't be my friend either. And that the lies and the cover-ups and the overseeing is only a part of the whole makeup. So what we can't do, we can't rely on a government. A government that is made up of partially 180-year-old congressmen. These people's mentality, if you think it took for us 200 years as black people to get out the institutionalized mentality of slavery, which we are still in, what do you think about those congressmen who have been sitting on that those seats for over 50, 60, 70 years? Their mentality hasn't changed either. The difference between them and us is that we're the new breed because our ancestors have gone. But they're the same old breed. 
and you wonder why their lifespan is so long. See, our lifespan is short, very short, with the chemicals and things that are going on and the underlying chemical uh, infiltrations in cities like Flint and and the uh, chemical warfare in the airs here in Victorville that I see. You have to open up your your eyes and your mind. You have to say, well, they really don't want you here. They don't want you if you're $55,000 a year making, then you are part of that too. It's $55,000 is the average family. If that's what it is, then you are in the class of the people who receive Medicare, who receive Medicare. There are a lot of people out here working jobs every day and still don't have the proper medical. I have my good friend, my best bestie, male best bestie. He's a vet of 24 years. And he informed me today that he has no dental. They have single-handedly tricked, smoke-screened, and done all that they could do to keep that gap widening. So with the current policies that are in effect today, there was a time that that wealth gap was closing, but now it's being broadened. Pay close attention to the things that this president is focusing on. They're all focusing on economical things that will affect us all. I want you to think. I want you to get more empowered with yourself and say, you know, find inside you what is unique about you. What's unique about me is I can talk. I can bring to life the things that you need to hear. And that's what I do every night. And I dedicate my life to do that because it's very important to me. It may be idealistic to think that one day we can overcome, as Martin Luther King said, but within my heart with God, I know we can. But also it's going to take integrity. It's going to take hard work and unity. I'm going to sign off tonight. I'm going to send you with this. Wake up tomorrow morning and get familiar with who you are, what you're good at, what your expertise is, and what collation that you can be a part of. As opposed to looking at Empire tomorrow night, why don't you look at a little bit of self-help videos to get you in the mindset that you want to be your own business owner. Being your own business owner, being your own empire, it can be done. Don't be fearful like I was and then end up with a mental issue. I didn't do myself a favor by sticking in there those three and a half months. I did myself an injustice, but that injustice became who I am today, and that's what I'm asking you, you, to use. Use me. Let me be that vessel. Let me connect you with other people who feel the same way as you do. As Dr. Claude Anderson said, black folk ain't never going to fit in. We have to get and have base our own and create our own to create jobs for ourselves.
With that, this is Gina's Blue Fairy signing off. I love you. Much love. See you tomorrow at 8 o'clock, same time, same place. Peace.